Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. You could subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite download service, and never miss the great content we offer. Greetings, and thanks for joining us today on A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Colonel Buck Habrichter, an instructor in the leadership department of the U.S. Army War College and an editor here at the War Room. The 2018 National Defense Strategy talks about cultivating creative workforce talent by directing emphasis on intellectual leadership and deepening our knowledge of history. In the studio today with me to discuss these two concepts are Colonel Terry Peterkin, a graduate of the AY-19 resident class. Hi, Buck. Colonel Maurice Sipos, a fellow instructor in the Department of Command Leadership and Management. Hey, Buck. And Dr. John Bonin, the Director of Concepts and Doctrine Division at the Center for Strategic Leadership. Hello. Welcome to all of you, and thanks for joining me today. Terry, I'm going to start with you, because I think you were probably the instigator of this discussion. What do you think the Secretary of Defense meant by intellectual leadership? You know, Buck, I spent a lot of time trying to answer that question, and I asked probably about 10 to 15 different uh, students and professors what intellectual leadership means to them, and I got 10 to 15 different answers to that question, uh, and I think that's the problem. We have to be more precise in, in the language, and, and I think we don't have the answer to that question. Uh, to me, what intellectual leadership means is uh, to read more and study more and be a deep thinker. And I don't think that's what the Secretary of Defense really wants us to do. So I think we need to be more precise with that language so that we get those officers who are creative and adaptive and could think at the speed of relevance. And I don't think intellectual leadership gets us there. To put a timestamp on this, we're talking about Secretary of Defense Mattis, who is, also, of course, known to be a voracious reader. He was always the warrior monk who spent much of his time studying. Yes. So I can see how that, that possible interpretation could easily come out of this. Exactly. Maurice, did you have another thought? Yeah, I do. My, my take is a little bit different than, than Terry's. And I look at the, the statement that, uh, that is in the NDS, and I see it as a little bit different. And I think it's more of a challenge to PME, uh, professional military education institutions, to challenge the institutions to do a better job in terms of, of educating our, our, uh, our, our students. Right. So I, I see it as that. And, and I see it as a challenge for us to include other tools, other techniques, um, technology into the way we practice our our discipline. And it's not I don't think it's something that's unique to us, Terry. I think it's it's something that's been certainly discussed for years in higher education. Um, there's a uh, Rosemary Deem, who was the dean of history and social sciences and a professor of higher education management at the University of London 10 years ago, about in 2010, was, was trying to answer that question, that very question, what is intellectual leadership uh, at a conference? And, um, and so her take was more that it might be involved in, in uh, defining the setting and enabling others to contribute to, to intellectual agendas and to, uh, to think about the production and communication of new knowledge. And it even stretches into how do you lead intellectuals themselves. And so it, to me, it creates a, a little bit more of a, a wider picture and pro possibly a bigger discussion in terms of, of what the secretary meant at the time when he was talking about intellectual leadership and the development of knowledge. 
And, and that's where I think history comes in, and, and John certainly has an opinion about that. And, of course, that's why we brought a historian in on the conversation. <laughs> Despite my title as professor of concepts and doctrine, I am a professional historian. Uh, so I try to bring the historical lens to the work, to what we do around here, not only in concepts and doctrine, but in the core curriculum that I participate in. One of the parts that history provides, I think, that, that is meant by some of that knowledge of history is the vicarious examples and this is where we can learn by mistakes of others without having to experience the pain of that learning experience personally. So this is part of the educational role about learning history, is to learn what other people did and derive insights, not so much lessons learned, but insights into what others have done that may be applicable to what we're trying to do today. And of course, in a pure historical fashion, what's taught at PME has been discussed time and time again throughout history, and there's been a great deal of insight and oversight associated with that as well. Absolutely, um, and that's why I teach a ancient warfare elective. Um, I find that ancient warfare and, and antiquity, the Greco-Roman experience, is still valid today, thousands of years after the facts, because many of the things that the leaders of the day experienced at the strategic level are timeless. The tactics have changed, the weapons have changed, technology has changed, but the strategic issues are still timeless. So Terry, you said had somewhere in the, you know, 10 different answers, you discussed this with all the instructors, probably two more different answers that just came in right now. Exactly. But I, I think we can play off of those as, as well. It's more than just uh, placing it on the institution to, to d develop that historical knowledge. I think we have to have this habit of learning. You have to cultivate this habit of learning. And I just don't think intellectual leadership gets us there. I think more precise language for me is focusing on intelligence. I think intellect really focuses on just, again, knowing, understanding, reading, studying. It, there's no action in that, though. If you want someone to be innovative and to modernize and, and develop new technology, there's action involved in that. And I think that's where intelligence comes into play. You can define it. There's theories that you can research and, and, and uh, use that information as a benchmark for us to, to develop off of. You don't have the same thing for intellect, not as much as you have for intelligence. So it's funny because we first talked about this, Maurice uh, kind of asked me, cold one day says, what, what do you think intelligence is versus intellect? And my from the hip answer was actually along the lines opposite what you're saying right now is that intelligence is that that knowledge, that some knowledge you have in your head. Intellect is the ability to apply it. My, my personal opinion at the time, I hadn't bothered looking up any definitions or anything. And when I started looking up definitions, that actually made it worse because there's so many common words between the two words, defining the two words, I should say that it, I think it confuses the situation worse. But you make a point that words have meanings, and using the appropriate word is, is very important. Right. So the obvious question would be, uh, how does that translate to what the U.S. Army has to do to develop creative leaders? Yeah, for me, I think it's about describing it, defining it, and then coming up with a, a method for developing it. And I know in the War College, they're already looking at ways of how you can develop intellect. For me, that would be intelligence. But you want, just off the bat, you have to define what it is that you want to do. Is it really intellectual leadership that we want? And, and if it's not, then define it. For me, I'd say intelligence. And then once you define it, come up with an individual development plan that target specific competencies that are linked with intelligence so that you have an end state that you're going to reach and you have a path for reaching that end state. 
So for those folks that haven't attended the War College, we do do individual development plans for each of the students as they come through. Uh, they sit down with a mentor and they try and map out what it is they want to accomplish for the year. Uh, John, I don't know how much you've done with this in the past. I know Maurice, you and I have done it for several years now. Quite a bit. And again, it's one of these things as a civilian, um, we're supposed to do individual development plans. And of course, mine's probably a little different than most being a, not only a historian, but the piece that I think that relates to what we were just talking about is intellectual curiosity. That's the term that I've been trying to get into some of the, leader, uh, the literature on strategic education because I think that's another vehicle to get people into the state that we want them to be where they're seeking knowledge. They're curious about it. They want to learn more. Usually their experience in the field, and having been a field soldier myself for, as an infantryman for 30 years, you don't have a whole lot of time to think. You don't have a lot of time to reflect. And so that's where the PME courses, I think, give people a time to reflect to be intellectually curious. And we have to develop that habit of intellectual curiosity that they would then take forward as part of their own individual self-development plan along what Terry is saying. Yeah, and I agree, with, uh, I agree with you both, but Terry, you mentioned the institutional aspects. And I think beforehand we talked about um, the responsibilities of, of senior leaders to also mentor and develop their subordinates. So there's a, a formal institutionalized piece of, I, I believe, of intellectual leadership. Absolutely. But there's the informal piece, too, that is driven by the culture that we live in. So that, that's kind of where I, I see that being a blending of, of what you're talking about and some of the things that John's talking about. It actually made me think of uh, a passage I read in Thinking in Time where the authors talked about uh, in order for us to invest that time in studying history, we have to see the value in it. And I think that's where the targeted individual development plan, which is different from what we do here at the War College. At the War College, we weren't given an end state. There, there wasn't a, a defined end state. We want you to be an intellectual leader. We want you to be a strategic thinker, which we didn't really know what a strategic thinker was before we got here. So we can't really develop a plan of how to get to strategic thinking until we know what it is. So I think you have to, one, first define what's the end state and then develop that individual development plan so that you know I'm deficient in these particular competencies that will help me become this strategic thinker, intellectual leader, whatever it is we're defining that we want to be. And I think that's the gap. That's where what we're missing. We haven't defined the end state, yet we're developing a plan of how to get there. Okay, so let me ask you honestly, do you think uh, as you walked in the door here in August that you knew what that – you could easily understand what that end state really was and be able to understand what your gaps were and what you needed to fill along the way to get to that predicted end state? Not when I arrived. Yeah. I did not. Okay. I, I got there through my uh, strategic research project okay. and understanding uh, I didn't want to be an intellectual leader. I wanted to be an intelligent leader who could make wise decisions, who could make uh, emotionally intelligent decisions. I had a database or inventory of knowledge that I've obtained through uh, my life experience, but also from reading and studying history. Uh, and I can also think at the the speed of relevance, which is where I consider that fluid intelligence come, comes from. And so knowing that and that's my end state, then I could assess where my deficiencies were and, and then target speci specific competencies that I needed to focus on throughout the course. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. John, you had a thought. Yeah, the, the whole idea is that maybe what we need is an individual development plan on the way out of the college 
as, as compared to the one that we have coming in. That would meet more, I think, of Terry's objective. And I would also submit it's not so much an end state, but a journey. Mm-hmm. We're all on a journey of life. There is no end state other than the final one. And so the journey has to be mapped, and that's where an individual development plan could help map the journey once you leave the institution. I like that view. I do like that view. So I, I know we often ask students, you know, as, as we move through the course, what do you normally read? Where do you get your information from? And, and quite often from people we get, well, I, I read technical journals. I read what's appropriate for my branch, for my career field, for my specialty. Uh, and in, a, in a, a more and more technological DOD as a whole, each of the services, there is a, there is a need for people to be current on those spe- very specific, very technical journals and, and things that go with that. And it's a matter of finding time. And one of the most rewarding things, at least for me, is to see the change in people by the end of the year, where they've gone back into Thucydides and they've read through some Clausewitz, and they've now been exposed to a lot of the different things in our uh, strategic leadership course as well, and defense management and any number of courses we do here. And people do have a new desire to, to pack in more reading. And it's always kind of interesting. You always kind of wonder how well does that plan survive once it hits the real world again and people are back in the thick of things. I think it can survive. It's creative. You have to be creative. For me, at War College, some of my reading I did on my, I'm a roadrunner, which means weekends I have a two, almost two and a half hour trip, you know, each way. Right. And Audible has been my friend, my best friend. So some of the easy reads I, I do on Audible and then my extra time where I could physically pick up a book and read, I save some of the more dense readings, uh, the World War One and World War Two readings I, I do in, in print reading. And so I think it's just creative reading. You, you can read now through Audible while you're working out. And if but again, it goes back to where's the value in it? Mm-hmm. What end state or how, how does it fit into my journey, as John talked about? If we help the leaders understand that it's a part of your journey and this is how it's a part of your journey, then I think they'll they'll commit to it and they'll be more uh, mindful of targeting those those readings that will help them develop those competencies they need. Okay. Yeah, I think, Terry, it's about maintaining that intellectual curiosity. Um, I know before I came to the War College, I was deeply ingrained in the types of readings that I needed to do for, for my job. Yep, same and, here. Uh, and so it's, you know, commuting back and forth to, to my house every day. Uh, you know, life sometimes gets in the way, but you have to make that time and stay intellectually curious like John was talking about. And so I'm glad you're, you're using tools like Audible to help, uh, help maintain that. And the, the trick is, and, and I guess where I, I want to talk to you in, in about a year and a half, two years is to see how's the plan coming? You know, are you still able to to maintain the reading that you love to do now? And I don't want to make it seem as if I didn't read before I arrived at the War College. I was a reader. I just d- didn't have that individual development plan, and I wasn't doing targeted reading. I was throwing a dart at a map and just pulling pulling readings off, whatever interests me. It, it, it could be anything. And now I think I have more purpose behind what I read, and I use my limited time I have to read, it's targeted so that I can maximize that time and and help develop into this whatever you're going to define I need to be, whether it's an intellectual leader or an intelligent leader. Okay, so completely unfair question. What's on your nightstand right now? Oh, my goodness, nothing because I've packed everything up. But, oh, I have, oh, my goodness, about six or seven different books on my nightstand. Uh, they kind of focus from... I'd say 
the night early 1900s mid 1900s America's Bank is one that I'm I'm reading it's about the founding of the Federal Reserve and and that book helped me so much I I was in Iraq recently if I can tell a quick story and uh, we were observing pay processes in uh, northern Iraq and Kurt in the Kurdish region. And I couldn't understand for the life of me why they were still using this this manual process. They didn't have uh, uh, automatic transfers. So if they transferred funds from one bank to another, they'd load up an armored truck and load the money and transfer it over that way. Well, after reading America's Bank, it helped me understand that it wasn't that long ago when we didn't trust a, a federal banking system. And, and so we had some of those same primitive banking processes. And I didn't have that knowledge back in you know 2016 when I was in Iraq. But I think it would have helped me be more em- empathetic, you know, towards their their decisions they were making in their banking systems. Had I had that that knowledge, uh, so uh, things like that, I'm I'm reading not just to help me understand my field, but just to understand the major changes that have happened and transitions that have happened over time, uh, so that it can help me be more empathetic to the decisions that are being made. So, John, I'm curious. You've been with this institution for a few years now. Uh, in your personal opinion or professional opinion, as you've watched the student body come here, have you seen that intellectual curiosity? Have you seen that that, that readership uh, or that dedication to reading? Have you seen that ebb and flow or have you seen it being constant or what, what have you noticed? I, I, I've seen it dip and that's a, unfortunate because I think that what has happened is over the past long years of war, 18 or so years, however we're counting, the experience that we've sent our, our young officers to go do and not so young officers to go do has overwhelmed them in terms of their time management. Uh, they've been overly experienced and I would submit undereducated, which left little time for self-development. I spent 30 years as an infantryman, never deployed to one single operation. I had a lot of time to develop myself. I had a lot of time to build my knowledge. I was in several positions where I was an educator, where I was a historian. I'm a voracious reader. I've read deeply. I've read widely. I think I'm better for it at my declining years. But nonetheless, I had the opportunities to do that, and it's unfortunate that I'm not seeing that same opportunity afforded to many of our students that come through here. Now, that's where I think it's important for us to reawaken that intellectual curiosity in them, to help them develop their learning plans as part of the rest of their journey, because many cases, as I had to do when I came here as a student in 94, I had to reinvent myself because what I had done before I got here was not what I was going to do thereafter, and I have not done anything after 94 that I did before 94. So we all have to reinvent ourselves, and knowledge is the basis for that reinvention. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that, and I I think that that's where it comes into play in in that targeted uh, reading. I think if we help identify, once we define this is what we want you to be, these are the competencies you need, then we need to kind of dwindle down that that list of, you know, over 300 million books that are out there and and let the leaders know these are some that we recommend. If you these are the competencies that you want to improve, then try these books and they'll they'll help you. Uh, and that'll help us not have to search through and weed through all of this. I think there was one of the philosophers that said that he wasted a lot of time, you know, uh, reading books that really didn't benefit him and help him develop where he was trying to develop. And I think that's where the War College can really help us. We have it already in, in our directives. We just need to make it more publicly available to a broader uh, group other than the 14% that come to the War College. 
So Terry, just a thought that came across my mind as you were talking about, you know, helping guide people in terms of the reading and help focus them. Given that, when you go to your next assignment and you have subordinates, how might you help direct them and guide them? And and have you, I guess the second question would be, have you had any mentors that have played that role for you and helped influence the types of things that you read prior to coming here? I did. I had one in particular. I had a battalion commander. Her solution to any question you asked her was going to be a book. She (laughs) directed you to a book uh, to help you solve your problem. She didn't just give you an answer. She directed you to books. And I I did appreciate that. And uh, Maurice, I'll tell you, I've already started doing that with my the the individuals I mentor. I've started directing them to to books, books that I've either um, learned about during the war college or as I'm engaging with different people in, in, in my environment. If they recommend a book, I'll check the book out. And if it seems to be a, a good read and a good relevant book, then I'll recommend it to to the individuals that I'm, I'm mentoring as well. And, and I'll agree that's an area I was deficient in as, as a mentor. And so I've really uh, ramped that up because I see the way it's benefited me since, I, since I've been here in the War College. So this is, this is nothing new in the sense that uh, each of the service chiefs have put out reading lists for years. Um, I know specifically with the Air Force chief, uh, it, it's become more diverse. At one time when it was looking constantly at, at battles, it was looking at organizations, looking at leadership. Suddenly it's looking at bigger things like Moneyball and, and more diverse non-military topics out there. So it's been there before, um, and we've gone even farther now with some of the blogs online, you know, Little Green Notebook or uh, Strategy Bridge, one of the other blogs out there in this space. Different sites like that all produce worthy reading lists out there, that, and I don't mean to exclude anybody because there's a number of sites that do it. So there's, there's obviously plenty of lists out there. Mm-hmm. We just got to get people to actually sit down and take the time to read this stuff. It, I think it's more than that, though. I think you have to show what particular competencies, if you pick a book on that list, how does it fit into your individual development plan? And I think that's the missing link. If we can show how it fits into the individual development plan, then that officer understands that that investment will have some, some value uh, to them. But if you just give them a reading list and say these are important books, they'll eventually get to the books, probably when they need that book, you know. But you have to, if it's going to be a lifelong process and and we're going to develop that habit, I think that that targeted individual development plan is the key for us. Uh, determine what those competencies are, and then we do the reading list that tell you, these are the books that target those competencies that you're trying to develop. Okay, so the, the one piece we haven't exactly tied together here is we, we all agree that for self-improvement, the, the greater the intellect, the greater the intelligence, whichever word we use, choose to use in there, uh, the, the, better, the greater the benefit to the, the leader themselves. Tie this all together in understanding history and developing your intelligence and your intellect. How does that develop more creative leaders throughout DOD? Creativity being the key piece there. I think for me, if you look at intelligence, it's in the definition of intelligence. There's one theory that that talks about crystallized and fluid intelligence. And crystallized intelligence is your your knowledge, is what you're learning throughout your life. It's your skills and your knowledge that you have. So if you're an avid reader, if you're reading, you're feeding not just with what you're exposed to in your in your environment, but you have hundreds of years of knowledge that you're feeding in into your crystallized intelligence and, and building that inventory of knowledge. 
And then your fluid intelligence, that's your your ability to, to reason. So when we're talking about being creative and adaptive and, and responding in your environment, that's where fluid intelligence comes into play. There's uh, one psychologist that said... Uh, uh, Fluid intelligence is about, it's about, uh, you know a lot, so you don't have to have to think, but also you don't know a lot, so, so, you, so you have to think. So it, it helps you both ways, whether you know or you don't know that reading and, and studying and learning is, is going to help you both ways. If I may add, they're, they're used to take a test here, and I don't know if they still do, on creativity and the two components of it is innovation and adaption. And what I found was I was not a creative person. I thought I was, but I was found I was more of an adapter. Um, and I don't mean that in a um, negative way, but in a positive way. Because what it meant by being an adapter is I don't come up with the original ideas. I figure out how to apply somebody else's original ideas mm-hmm. in a better sense in a new situation. And so in many cases, I think what we need in the military is not necessarily the purely creative people, those, those purely innovators, because they may have pure intellect, as we were describing, but we need the adapters, the people that can take something and figure out how to apply it to the military situation or the situation we're in and do it at the, you know, at the, neg- at the required speed in order to get the, the mission and the task accomplished. Yeah. Uh, so again, how do we develop that? I don't know. How do we develop that, that ability to be a great adapter? John, I would argue that by adapting, you are also innovating. You're not necessarily creating, but you're, you're certainly applying uh, your knowledge in a different way to use something in a novel, novel fashion. So I think that is part of innovation. I think there's research that looks at how you can focus on developing work in memory and concentration and focus to help you in, improve your ability to be creative and, and adaptive. I, I think that the military should do our own studies. I don't think we should rely on those that research, but it, it's a good at least starting point, a good benchmark for us to, to uh, play off of. Uh, as far as that's concerned. But uh, going back to what Maurice was saying, I think for for us, why why that's really important to us, if you go back to the fluid intelligence and that ability to be creative and, and adaptive, uh, the research shows that fluid intelligence declines between the ages of 30 and 40, where 63% of our officer corps is over the age of 30, and, and a quarter of it is over 40. So we're at the age where we're in decline of our ability to be creative and adaptive, which makes it even more important for us to build that crystallized intelligence, because there's also research that shows that crystallized intelligence, that inventory of knowledge and skills, uh, can help compensate for that fluid intelligence decline. Hmm. Again, focusing on intelligence, that precise language allows us to be able to go back and look at the research and the studies that have been uh, accomplished already and use that information. Uh, But if we're sticking with intellect, we'll continue to be confused on what does it really mean to be intellectuals. Unfortunately, we're out of time today. Uh, This has been a great discussion. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. I want to thank all of you for being here today. This has been uh, a great talk. And I want to say thank you to our listeners for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again next time in the War Room. Thanks, Buck. Thanks, Buck. Thank you. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.